So as people, we want security in our lives, right? We like to know that we're safe. We like to know that we are provided for. I think as Americans, for sure, but most people also want a measure of freedom. We want some liberty. We want to know that we can do things and we can experience things that we choose to experience. And anytime those things are challenged, we are challenged and we kind of defensively posture, you know, and fight back. But we want certain things. And, but there's some things you can obtain in life on your own. There's some things that you can obtain in life uh, through trusting in maybe money or people or yourself or your abilities, but then there are some things in life that you cannot get on your own, no matter how hard you try. One of those things is hope. Hope is a foundational need for all people. We need hope. So what is hope? What is hope? If we're going to talk about hope, let's unpack this word hope. Hope is to have trust or confidence that something will happen. You know, when I was growing up, and some of you old folks like me, Nancy, you would relate to this. Um, we, we used to say the only thing sure in life is death and taxes. You remember saying that? Yeah, we, we'd all say it or heard it said, you know. Uh, I, I don't believe that's actually true. I think there are some other things that are sure in life, but sure, it sure makes sense, right? Uh, but you know, it's, you, can't, you can't just depend on everything. Come on. How many of you hope you get certain gifts for Christmas? Hope, you know, and you wouldn't say it right here, I know, but in your mind, you, you are. You're saying it. You know, I mean, I hope I get that new PlayStation 85 or whatever the new one is. Uh, but I, hope, but I, but I hope I get a new car or I hope I get, you know, that, that gift, that, that new Apple Watch thingy. Uh, I hope I, uh, we hope, we hope in a lot of things. We hope we get a paycheck, right? At the end of the week, we better, we need it. We hope. We hope we stay healthy. We hope we stay married. We hope we keep our jobs. We hope, we hope, we hope. We hope in a lot of things, but a lot of times it's really not hope that we're doing. We know we're wishing <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways because what it is that's out there is not sure. It may happen or it may not happen, and that's why we use the word hope. We hope it will happen. But hope in its True form is believing in or having confidence in something that is sure to happen, right? Sure to happen. I had a friend one time that says, uh, he was headed to the casino, and he said, I'm sure I'm going to win today. I mean, you know, he was deceived. There is no surety in that. The true pinnacle of hope, if there was one thing that we should be or hope that we could be assured of, is a, a, an eternal Utopia, we call that heaven, right? The Bible calls that heaven. That's one of those things we want to hope in. We need to hope in. We hope there is a heaven. We hope that we will end up there. We hope that we'll spend eternity in a relationship with God, a close relationship with God. That is one of those things that we hope will happen. I believe that, I believe this, I believe that that starts by something. It's, it's bigger than the fairy tale. It's bigger than the nursery rhymes. It's bigger than the Sunday school lessons. My mom was my Sunday school teacher when I was this big. I remember the flannel, flannel graphs, Moses and, and the big boat and, and Jonah and the big fish. And I, me I remember I learned a lot of that as a kid. But it's, it's bigger than the stories we've heard. There's something about heaven and about this hope that we have in heaven that is actually in our heart. Ecclesiastes puts it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says, He, God, has put eternity into man's 
heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God himself has put something in us. I like to think of it as a homing beacon, something in us. So now if, you, if you're a techie guy, you got the new little, what's the little Apple things that are, y'all remember what that's called now? Anybody got one of those? A tile or something like that, yeah, to where you can actually find your stuff, like your keys. Like, I lost my keys again. Of course, if you lose your keys and your phone, you can't find either. It's your, you are just lost. There's no hope. <laughs> What's that? Uh, so, but you can find things. But it's like a homing beacon in us that says, I cannot wait for heaven. We've painted a huge picture about heaven. Half of it's not true, but let's believe in it anyway. Of what it's going to be like and, you know, is it really going to be streets of gold? I don't know. I don't know if we'll even get to see that part of heaven. We might just get there and say, oh, nope, we're just going to get to hear about it again. But, but we have all these ideas of heaven and it's something that God has put in our hearts, a longing for something that we want to hope in, that we can hope in. I think at the end of the day, heaven represents a closeness to God that sometimes we don't feel like we can experience here on earth. When we talk about hope, when we talk about needing hope and wanting hope, we want, at the end of the day, just want to know God. We want to be close to God. We want to experience God in a closeness. You know, mankind had that. We read in the Bible in Genesis, it was the very beginning when God created everything and he created man. He created a, a place, a place where man and God could hang out and be close we call it the Garden of Eden. That's what the Bible describes as the Garden of Eden. It's, it's like that utopian place. It's that heaven on earth place. God created it and he furnished it with every good thing. And he put man in it and he said, you can have it all. It's just stuff that one tree over there. Don't eat the fruit of that. But you can have it all. All these good things that I've made. Man got to just have fun. No worries, no cares. Kuna Matata. Can I say that in church? I don't even know. Is it? That's probably a bad word in another language, but it was perfection. It's a picture of what we hope for at the end of our lives, that perfect state. And it wasn't perfect because of all the stuff, and it wasn't perfect because it was beautiful, and it wasn't perfect because it was fully furnished. It was perfect because God was there, and man was there, and they were together and then we read where man disobeyed God. And the one thing God said, the one rule, the one rule, he broke it. He disobeyed God and he found himself separate from God. We call it the fall of mankind. And ever since that day, it's been tough. And we've been longing for that eternal place, that place of perfection, that place of presence of God, that place of hope. And we long for it even here today. It could seem like it's not a reality. It could seem like there is no hope. It could seem like it's just a faraway dream. And if you get on the internet nowadays, I've read probably five different things this week. Uh, people are saying heaven's not real. They've been saying this for 6,000 years, that heaven's not real. It's not a real place. It's just a fantasy that some man made up, that somebody made up because, you know, we, we want to have, have it all, you know, have all these things. And the enemy hates that we have a hope. He hates that we have a hope. And sometimes, though, it's hard to hope because you know what you see and you know what you feel and you know what you experience in your life and you know the disappointment, and you know the hurt and the pain that comes with life and relationships. And that's why I started the way I did today with December and this weirdness, this spiritual thing of 
hopelessness that happens in December, whether it's for longing for loved ones or it's a longing for stuff or a a disappointment that keeps coming up in our life or it's a depression that we can't explain, but it sits down on us. And December is just this weird time of year. And it all goes back to the garden. It all goes back to the fall of mankind. And really what we're trying to figure out is how we can be close to God again. And because we don't know how, we can't figure that out, we feel hopeless. And we really are hopeless if it's not for God. If it wasn't for God, God has a plan. God has a plan of restoration. His plan, we call it His promise. His plan is talked about time and time again in the Bible. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see God constantly reminding us that He would fix the problem that man created when he fell away, disobeyed God. One of those instances in the Bible that we call the promise is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is one of the many prophecies or promises that support the overall promise of God's restoration of hope to mankind. Restoration of that utopian place of presence. Perfection. Of heaven. For mankind. And the promise does go back to the Garden of Eden. In that story where God created everything and made it perfect and provision was there and he was there and God walked with man in the cool of the day and they hung out and talked and communed. And, and then when we see man disobey God and we call it the fall and he fell away from God and there was a separation between man and God. God came and Adam, where are you? And, of course, Adam was hiding behind a fig leaf in a tree. And he came out, and here I am, God, and, you know, I can't hide from you. And there was a conversation that happened, and God said, because of what you've done, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. But interestingly, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God makes a statement. It actually is the beginning of the promise that we wait for even today. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here's God and here's Adam and here's Eve. And here's the serpent who represents the devil who we call the trickster or the deceiver. He had slithered in. Actually, I think maybe he walked in at the time because we see he slithered out. But that's part of the curse. But uh, here they are and they had this conversation and Eve believed him and disobeyed Adam disobeyed and so God shows up and he lines them up and he says Adam because of this this is going to happen Eve because of this this is going to happen and then he turns to the serpent and he says because you've done this and he begins this gospel message of hope he said you know what I'm putting enmity between this couple and their offspring which is all of us and all of your offspring All of those that you will deceive, 
all of those that you will trick, all of those that you will take their hope, all of those that you will lead astray, I'm putting enmity between light and dark, between good and evil. And the offspring, and now he begins the gospel message, the offspring, Jesus, who was born of a woman, will bruise his heel on your head, on your offspring's head. He's going to destroy you. The culmination of all the man has done and the evil, the fall, the separation, and all the enmity that man has with God, all of that is going to be resolved at a given time by Jesus. By Jesus. And this story was told. I'm sure Adam and Eve's sons told it and their kids told it. And throughout the generation, this story was told of what God said to Adam and Eve and the serpent. It was told so many times that eventually it was written down and we have it today. We tell it. I'm telling it even now. The story of the promise, the story of reconciliation, the story of God fixing what man broke. It was told throughout the history of Israel. We see it in the Old Testament storylines. He told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, that everyone would be blessed through his lineage, Jesus. He told Moses, he told David, and the stories just kept getting repeated. God's going to fix this. God's going to fix this. God's going to fix this. And yet, another generation would come and go and pass, and another generation would rise up, and they would hear the story being told again. God's going to fix this, and they would go, yeah, 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 that's what they all say. And you see a lot of time pass, and you see these ebbs and these flows. The children of Israel would, woohoo, go God, and then they would just go, man, <laughs> and they would fall away. And gosh, don't we do the same thing sometimes? I, I, I would say a perfect illustration of that is most of us, maybe not everybody, maybe not you, but most everybody else in the room, will come to church on Sunday and we'll have this worship service, fantastic worship service, and Morgan and Nicholas and the team, my goodness, we'll get up here, Laney and all of the band, and we'll worship God together, and we'll, we'll just get on the hill of, the hill of heaven, and we'll just proclaim, all oh, praise to the Lord our God, and we feel on top of the world, and then about Wednesday, oh my gosh. We are fit to be tied. We're cussing everybody around us. Not really. I mean, I hope you don't. But, you know, we're, we're just mad and we're mad at one another. And it doesn't end until we walk back in. Y'all were probably arguing all the way here, right? Did y'all argue all the way here? How many else? No? No? Okay. I drove here by myself. I didn't argue with anybody. But we, we just, we, we ride this roller coaster, and that's exactly what we see the children of Israel uh, doing in the Old Testament, and they would, they would remember the promises of God. They would remember what God said, and there would be revivals, and then they would forget about God's faithfulness, and they would fall into a slump and do despicable things, and calamity would fall upon them. Eighteen centuries passed when we read the, the Old Testament storyline. And we see the hope of Israel rise and the hope of Israel fall. I said at the very beginning about how it's the season of Christmas and some of us hope we'll get things for Christmas. And when I was preparing for this, I thought about when I was a kid. Uh, you might think about when you were a kid, too. Some of y'all had the same kind of story, but I thought when I was a kid, you know, I always hoped for something. I hoped, you know, that I was going to get a certain gift or I hoped that I would get something from 
my parents or something from a friend. You know, there's this hope. And then when that thing you hope for isn't realized, when they don't give it, sometimes it's because they can't and they just can't explain that. Sometimes you hope for something in life and it just doesn't turn out that way. Sometimes you hope for something that people didn't even promise. I think we see that in the storyline of the children of Israel. I think they hoped a lot of times in things that God never really said. He just said, I'm going to fix this. And You know, if, if, if you know God's going to fix it, but you don't know the timeline, you don't know the timeline. I think of Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples were following him around, and at one point they said, Lord, Lord, is it, is it time now? Is this the time? Is this the season? Are you ready to get on that horse? Are we ready to mount up and take our swords? And woohoo, we're going to overthrow the Romans, and are we going we're gonna to do it now? And he's like, oh, guys, come on. It's, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Y'all know that storyline? He, he's, he's talking to his disciples. He says, it's not for you to know. Y'all are missing it. You're missing it. You're holding on to something you're fabricating in your mind. It's not for you to know. Jesus even at one point said, I don't even know when all this ends, but I know it ends. And the children of Israel rode this roller coaster. We ride this roller coaster in life sometimes. We get on top, yes, God, and then we hit the valleys. Where's God? We see this over and over and over again. One of the stories that really stands out to me in the Bible is um, the, the children of Israel had been led by pro, uh, prophets and um, judges, as we see in the book of Judges. And the judges would rule and reign, and then they would die off, and the children of Israel would go crazy and do all kinds of stupid stuff. And then there would be another judge that God would send, and he would rule and reign and straighten them out, and then they would, he would die off. And it was just a mess. And then finally, the children of Israel, we see it in the book of 1 Samuel. They, they started crying out. They told the, the judge of the day, who was Samuel, the prophet, uh, you know, we, we want a king like everybody else. We want a king like everybody else. We want something we can see. We're, we're, in essence, we're tired of waiting on God. And we're going to fix this. We want a king like everybody else. Samuel went to God and said, what am I supposed to do? And God said, here's what's going to happen. They're going to get a king, and the king is going to, he's going to take everything they have. He's going to be hard on them. He's going to lead them to war, lead their sons to war. They're going to lose their sons. He's going to invoke taxes on them. He's going to take all their possessions and all their land. It's going to be bad. But go ahead, go ahead and tell them, okay, you ask for a king, you'll get a king. First Samuel 8, 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. At the end of the day, God wanted to be their king and they rejected him. So we, in our life's journey, Many times because of the things that's happened to us or the things that we've done that we're disappointed in and ashamed of. We, we, we rally together. We're believing God. Praise God. God's the king. Yes, God. Whatever you say, Lord. And then another day happens and we, we forget. We forget God's leadership in our life. We forget that God is the king and he's got this all together. And if we could just trust him, it'll be all right. We've got to trust God. Uh, yes, but I don't see what I'm looking for. I don't see what I'm hoping for. I don't see the fulfillment of what I feel like God should be doing for me. You know, the book of Proverbs tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when we don't realize what we think God should be doing 
for us, when we don't realize what we think should be happening for us, it's as if our hope is being put off, deferred. It says it makes the heart sick. That word sick literally means depressed. It weighs us down. It impacts everything about us. It causes us to to make bad decisions. It causes us to hurt other people. The great disappointment in our lives is magnified and it becomes a heavy weight. Can you imagine walking around with a big rock in your arms and having to live your life and function with something like that in the very midst of your life? That's how some people live. It's the byproduct of deferred hope. And like the children of Israel, they often got tired of waiting on God and he said, I'm just going to do it myself. I think sometimes we, we do that. I do that. Instead of waiting on God, I say, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to pick up the baton. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to run this thing. It's never in a way, I, I never shake my fist at God. I hope you don't either. I never say, God, I'm tired of waiting on you, so I'm going to do this. I don't, I don't even go that far. I never even talk to God about it. I just do it. I just do it myself. And it turns out that so often I make bad decisions. I find myself regretting not waiting, not waiting on God. It's really idolatry or a form of idolatry. We want that security. We want that freedom. We want that peace. We want prosperity, but we look for it in all the wrong places. We place our hope in ideas and expectations of what life should be like. We make our own kings like they did. In the Old Testament book of First Samuel. And really this is idolatry. There's only one righteous king and it's Jesus. There's only one way and it's to put our hope in God. We read Isaiah 9 earlier. Verse 6 and 7. And it promises that a king is coming. God promised to fix it. His promise is Jesus. And he said he's going to fix it. He said Jesus is the solution. He is the king that's coming. As we read, it's a king that's coming to establish a just and righteous eternal kingdom. Our impatience causes us to struggle with that. At the end of the day, the question that we have to answer and resolve is God who he said he is, and will he do what he said he's going to do? Is God truly who he said he is, and is he capable of doing what he promised us he would do? And I don't think we're questioning God in that. We're questioning our belief in that, our faith in that. Is God who he said he is, and will he do what he said he's going to do? Biblical hope it's a little different than our Christmas hope of whether or not, I hope I get that present. It's a little different. Biblical hope is a confident expectation based on something solid. It's not wishful thinking or blind optimism. 
something solid. That's where faith comes into the picture. Faith is believing that God is who he said he is and he'll do what he said he's going to do. Not because of what we see, but because of what's inside of us, what we know. Our faith. Our faith is our connection to our hope. It's like a rope that we're holding on to. We're holding on to this rope of faith and it's attached to our hope and we're saying, I'm going to believe what God said in his truth and his word. I'm going to commit my life to the truth of God. Now, 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 if I don't know what God's word says, then I have the tendency to let go of the rope. I'll lay it down. I'll pick up other ropes, a rope that's attached to the government or money or my parents or my abilities or my employer. I'll pick up all these other ropes instead of holding on to the rope that truly matters, the rope that's attached to my hope that God is who he said he is and that he'll do what he promised to do from the very beginning and then over and over and over again. Biblical hope is confident expectation. Biblical hope is based on God's unchanging character and promise. Now we see all through the word of God, God doing what he said he's going to do. We see God's faithfulness in the word of God. But then as a believer, and some of you have been walking with God for a long time. As a believer, we see little victories in this life. We see little things where God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. So we hold on to the big promise, the truth of the word of God. But we also hold on to and reminded of, of God's faithfulness by the little things he's done in our lives. You know, I love to see, you know, uh, Nancy and Helen both uh, have walked through a crazy, crazy year this past year going through cancer treatments and seeing uh, the, the healing process take place. And Helen's serving in our kids' ministry right over here today. Uh, but thank God, you know. And, but, but, you know, you see, you've seen God's faithfulness. Brad, you've seen God's faithfulness. You've watched God's faithfulness in your family. You, Justin, you've seen it. Lainey, you've seen it in your family. You've seen it. And Helen and her family have seen the same thing. And so it's those kind of experiences that we all have. We all have those experiences. The longer you walk with God, the more you see God's faithfulness in your situation. And it is that reminder, that faithfulness is a reminder of the hope in which we hold on to. And we can't forget that. That's why it's so powerful that we have a testimony that we share our testimonies and that we let people know, let me tell you what God has done in my life. I remember when we shared the testimony that God had healed Melissa of a celiac disease that she had had for most of her life. I remember, uh, I could go around the room and point at a lot of people, but, but it, it encouraged someone else, and it still does. Every time we tell our testimony, it encourages people to don't let go of the rope that's attached to your hope because God is faithful. And the enemy's saying, no, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. And the word of God again says, yes, God is faithful to fulfill the promise that he began in the book of Genesis to fix what man screwed up. Biblical hope is based on God's unchanging character. Biblical hope is a reality. It's not a feeling. This reality carries no doubt. I think that is something that, I, again, I could, I could go around the room. There's many in this room. I think that, that the fact that it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, 
It's a reality. Is a revelation. You've got to get that revelation. Because if you're basing your holding on, your faith, holding on to that rope that's attached to your hope, if you're basing that on the way you feel, well, you'll lay it down every other day. I think that's what we see the children of Israel doing. But when you recognize that it's a reality, not a feeling, it changes the way you are determined and there changes the fact that there's no doubt. There's no doubt. God is who he said he is. And this reality is a sure foundation upon which we base our lives. Believing that God always keeps his promises. It'll affect your tomorrows. It'll affect your responses when life throws another curveball at you. Because you know, it's coming. It affects your relationships. When you know that God is faithful. He will be the first one you turn to instead of running into an idol. Or picking up another rope, another rope of false hope, or fabricating in your mind what you think God should do. No, you run to God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. I think I could sum it up like this. At the end of the day, hope is not a destination. Hope is not a feeling. Hope is a person. And his name is Jesus. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you today because I recognize this. December brings about a whole new set of emotions that we don't have the other 11 months of the year. And there's some of you in here that are really, really, really in the midst of a struggle. For some of you, it's an emotional struggle. Some of you, it's a physical battle. For some of you, it's relational, financial. This room is full of struggle. God sees your struggle. And today, he wants to remind you, hold on to your hope. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Father, I pray for us today in all the many situations that we face. God, that Romans 15, 13 would come to pass in our lives that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. God, I pray today for each individual that we would be filled with the presence of your Holy Spirit as our guarantee, our reminder that it's worth it. Our reminder that you are faithful in our lives, even what may seem like for us that, no, my problems, God, God doesn't have time for my problems. Or my problems are too big. Or my problems are my problems. i got to fix them. No. Today, God, we're reminded that we can trust you. We can put our hope in something solid. We can put our hope in Jesus. For many, it's once again, once again, putting our hope in Jesus. And God, we want you to know today that even though our emotions are fully engaged in all of this, that God, that we're not putting a time limit on you or a timeline. We're not saying you have to do anything. We're not raising our fist at you. We're raising our hands. We lift our hands up and surrender. And surrender to your truth and your promises. God, all over the room right now, we 
surrender to your goodness. We surrender to your faithfulness. We're reminded today that you are worthy of our trust. You're worthy of our faith. You're the king, Jesus. And we worship the king. Come on, right now, nobody's looking around. and God's doing business all over the room right now. God's, God's reminding you that he loves you. He's reminding you that he is going to be faithful to you. He's reminding you. He's reminding someone here today, maybe of a promise he made long ago. Some of you, you made a commitment when you were young to God. You made a commitment. Maybe you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer and got baptized in a church and as a kid. And yet you walked away over the course of years. And here you are today and God's faithful. <laughs> he's still there. Even when we're not, he's still there. And he's reminding you he loves you. And he's saying, come on home. Come on home. Some of you have never said yes to Jesus, and I want to give you a chance to do that today. God's here now, and he's reaching his hand out. And he wants you to know this. He wants you to know that he died on a cross to save you from your sins. He died on a cross to save you from eternal separation from him. He died on a cross to put heaven in your heart as a homing beacon to what's going to happen one day. And all you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is receive that free gift of salvation to make it true in your life. So if you're here today and you've never said yes, or maybe you said yes years ago, and today you're like, I've got to pray this prayer. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Just say, say something like this. Say, God in heaven, please forgive me for my sins. I turn from them today, and I ask you to save me. I ask you to come live inside of me. Teach me to know you. Teach me to trust you. Teach me to put my hope in Jesus. And tell him something like this. Say, God, I give you all of me today. And I receive all of you. All of you. All of you in Jesus' name. Amen.